All right, Jason, go ahead and pop us into uh, the presentation of what you prepared for us here today, and let's go ahead and kick it off. Sounds good. Thanks, Scott. All right, so I'm going to share my screen with you all a little bit about myself. Uh, I've been a real estate attorney for about a decade. I've uh, been an investor uh, for about that amount of time, and I'm a client as well as an attorney for Royal Legal Solutions. So we're just going to go through this slideshow. So land trust, uh, the first line of defense, kind of as Scott had insinuated, they're not meant to be standalone. They do provide anonymity on their own, but that's about as far as they go. Hence the tagline. Okay. So what is land trust? I think it's probably most useful to discuss this in reference to other trusts. So what we have here, we have three different types of trust. Revocable, irrevocable, statutory. There are obviously ranges within that and different names within that, which does lead to some confusion, but these are the major categories. So revocable, land trusts are in this category, uh, also known as common law trusts, which means that they're derived from custom or judicial precedent as opposed to code authority. Um, so basically, as the name suggests, they can be revoked, they can be altered, changed, you can update beneficiaries, remove assets, modify it. It gives a lot of flexibility. One of the downsides is there's limited, there's really no asset protection aside from the anonymity that they provide, but some of the benefits are listed here. You can bypass probate court if it's structured the right way. You get privacy, again, if it's structured the right way. And you can plan for your heirs, again, if it's structured the right way. Uh, obviously, plan, careful planning is, is key with any of these trusts. Uh, the way that you set it up does matter quite a bit. So irrevocable. <clears throat> So as opposed to revocable, uh, as the name states, it can't be changed. Uh, you lose a lot of flexibility. There are some huge advantages to it, but basically it doesn't give you any room, not really at least, for change. So it's fixed. It's locked in place. A lot of times these are used um, to try to avoid or uh, contain the damage that uh, you know estate tax, inheritance tax would cost um, either at the state level or the federal level. Obviously, at the federal level, it's very high right now, so it's not used for a lot of clients. Uh, but so that's why it says tax deductions. It is a separate standalone entity, which means you don't control it anymore, which means it does protect you from creditors. And these two are linked with Medicare planning as well. It can shield some of the costs from that. Now, statutory, um, one of the products that Royal offers and that we use quite a bit, but there are other statutory trusts in other states. But the one we focus on uh, for our purposes is a Delaware statutory trust. And as it states here, Rather than be, being based on common law or custom or judicial precedent, it's based on statutory law or code. So it's updated regularly, uh, especially in Delaware. It's one of the most business-friendly states. It's updated by business law experts on a very regular basis. Um, they're rel relatively simple to form. Um, as I suggested, they are regulated by statute. So it's internally regulated, not done by the client themselves um, as far as the rules and everything that are set in place. And it does have creditor and bankruptcy protection. And it is a, a really great uh, product to be using with a land trust when it backs up to a land trust, just like an LLC could back up to a land trust. And we'll get into that more in detail later. So common myths uh, to dispel about land trust. So as you can read, uh, I'll just go through each of them. So land trusts don't make you anonymous. Well, that's true if you are the trustee on it, um, if you're the beneficiary, if you're the grantor and you have it all kind of out there, if you decide to record it for whatever reason at the county level or if you have to file it, that's true. But if you use a nominee trustee, uh, which ideally would be an attorney or possibly you could use a third party, uh, you can get 
some anonymity, at least at the county record level. Um, they can find you in the chain of title. So as I said, I was a real estate attorney for about 10 years before I was with Royal. I'm still a real estate attorney. Uh, I did a lot of title work. While that's true, they can find you in the title. You're just going to be a prior record title holder. What I care about if I'm looking through the chain of title is who the current record title holder is. doesn't really matter that your name is on a mortgage if you had financing and you transferred to the trust because unreleased mortgages are extremely common. They could be out there for a lot of different reasons. Uh, they're not going to find you as an owner currently, which is kind of the key point. Uh, law, land trusts provide lawsuit protection. Again, as I said, not really. They'll provide you anonymity, which in a way provides you uh, lawsuit protection, but that's just kind of stopping things before they even get started. But once they get started, as Scott said, uh, it, it really wouldn't do much unless it's backed up by an LLC or a DST. Mortgages prevent you from using the land trust. Uh, again, not true. The Garn St. Germain Act does specify several exceptions to do on sale clause violations, one of which is being if you transfer from yourself to a revocable trust where you are the trustee and you are the beneficiary. And the key here is you still are the beneficiary technically if you have a wholly owned LLC. Um, there's an exception there. Uh, honestly, this doesn't come up that often. Mortgage companies, generally speaking, as long as the note is paid, they're not going to bother you about it. It does happen occasionally, but you have a really solid argument when it does come up, if it comes up. But again, 99% of the time, it never even shows up because mortgage companies aren't checking the record. Uh, land trusts are limited to holding raw land. Again, false. I mean, they can be used to hold raw land, but they're good at holding a, a wide variety of properties, whether it's developed, undeveloped, uh, notes, syndications. You can do a lot of different things with it. Although the name land trust kind of insinuates that it has to be limited to land, that's not really the case. So top benefits, uh, as I said, you can own an investment anonymously to a degree. Uh, you can avoid the due on sale clause, as I said. Uh, you can obtain financing in the land trust, or it's very easy to move out of the land trust, then move back in, get financing while it's in your own name, then move it back in. But people do actually finance in a land trust as well. Hold any type of asset in all 50 states, not just land, as I said, uh, and then stop lawsuits before they start. Like I said, if, if it looks like you don't own it, generally speaking, you're not a good target. So that's where that tagline comes. So do you need a land trust? Well, it kind of depends, obviously, like most things in life. We'll get into that about two slides advanced. So the bigger picture, as I said, uh, land trusts are just one part of the structure. Obviously, you could just do a land trust. Um, and there are applications where that may make sense. But generally speaking, at Royal, we kind of focus on all five of these pillars here. So land trusts really are going to focus on anonymity. That's where they're going to come into play. The liability, separation, isolation, that's going to come when you pair a land trust with an individual LLC per property or per, per asset. Uh, you're going to get that liability, separation, isolation, so that if someone breaks into the land trust, they're going to have to get through an LLC. Worst case scenario, you have compartmentalized everything. They get into that one LLC. And then the fifth pillar is obviously insurance, which that's standalone, but we would always recommend that you know you have homeowner's insurance and umbrella policy would be good as well. And then you could have uh, general liability insurance for an LLC. A lot of people don't know that, but it's a little bit duplicative, but sometimes it does make sense to have that. So who needs a land trust? Uh, so if you have a single family home, I really how it works is with the Garden St. Germain Act, anything from one to four dwelling units is within the realm of single family. So if you have a single family home investment property, it may make sense for you to have a land trust structure with backed up by DST or LLC. Uh, syndications, also makes sense. Notes as well. 
And are you interested in owning things anonymously? Then also a land trust would be a good option for you. Uh, if you don't have any of those things in this conversation, it's probably just informational. So uh, again, as we've been talking about, uh, and I said in a couple slides before this, uh, the focal point of a land trust is really going to give you the anonymity because instead of having your LLC, which I can look up and figure out who the manager, who the membership is, find your registered agent, probably within less than five minutes, I could figure all that information out. With the land trust, it's normally a private agreement, something that you would keep in your house or place of business. So no one has access to it unless you're taking screenshots or sharing it all over the place. Um, so the anonymity part is where the land trust comes in. Uh, and as, as it suggests, it's good for a wide range of investments and it doesn't disrupt financing, generally speaking. So uh, for hard assets and soft assets, generally you can use it the same way. Um, what you're going to do is you're going to use the land trust at the property level. So whatever the county is, it's going to be transferred from, let's just say, John Smith to 123 Main Street Land Trust. Generally speaking, you have to list the trustee in most states. Actually, every state that I'm aware of requires for a valid conveyance. The trustee has to be named. Otherwise, it's not really a valid conveyance. Um, you avoid the due on sale clause, as I suggested earlier. Uh, you can finance properties in your own name and then move them. And then any disclosures really, as we were kind of discussing in the question and answer section, any disclosures to uh, insurance companies or banks, your CPA, that's really all confidential. It's not public domain. It's not really searchable. That's not the kind of anonymity that we're really talking about. We're talking about somebody who's looking for trouble and hasn't yet filed a lawsuit, hasn't gotten into discovery or anything like that. Just they're, they're kind of sizing you up. And if they can't size you up, again, you're not a good bet most of the time. Most of what we're defending against are contingency attorneys, which uh, I don't know how familiar you, you guys are all with it, but Generally, you catch what you kill. I was a contingency attorney for about a year. Um, we took 30 to 40% of the winnings, but if there are no winnings or if it doesn't look like there's going to be winnings, we wouldn't fund it. Um, so generally speaking, that's who you're trying to dissuade from suing. So soft assets, uh, they pretty much follow the same routine as hard assets, which are you know houses, cars, things that generate liability. Um, things that don't generate liability examples would be syndicates, technically speaking, notes, things that brokerage accounts, things of that nature. Generally speaking, you can use the land trust with them, or you could actually put them into an LLC directly in the same structure that we're going to, the larger structure that we're talking about above. But uh, obviously, land trust is a good option if you don't want anybody to know what you own. And it would be the same thing with a nominee trustee out front. That's what everyone would see. And then a generic trust name. beyond the land trust. So this is talking about the larger structure. Uh, we'll get into some diagrams here, but when the land trust is paired with an LLC or a Delaware statutory trust, that's when you really get the liability separation isolation. Uh, so what it's going to look like, generally speaking, in the trust that Royal Legal uh, creates, you have three parties. You have a grantor, beneficiary, and trustee. Uh, what it's going to look like is instead of you being the grantor or the founder of it, instead of you being the beneficiary of it, uh, we're going to make an independent LLC or possibly a series LLC or a series of a Delaware statutory trust, we're going to make that the beneficiary and the grantor. So once the land trust, if obviously it's a hypothetical, if the land trust gets broken into, then they have to contend with an independent LLC or an independent Delaware statutory trust. So that's what gives you the limited liability. The land, the land trust on its own, if it's just you as beneficiary, grantor and trustee, it's just going to collapse on itself under pressure. Generally speaking, that's what happens. So adding an LLC or a Delaware statutory trust to the mix 
is where the magic really happens. Um, and again, as I insinuated earlier or discussed earlier, uh, the attorney-client privilege at the bottom end. Uh, so with the land trust, if you have the nominee trustee being Scott or another attorney, um, that's going to delay or stop discovery requests pretty much outright just because you have attorney-client privilege. It's a privilege held by you as the client unless you give him permission. Scott or the attorney uh, couldn't really discuss much in the way of who the trustee is, who the beneficiary is, who that grantor is. So the LLC and everything in the background really wouldn't even be disclosed. So anonymous entities. Um, so this is a version of a land trust that we do. It's, it's not called a land trust. We call it an agent trust. But basically at the bottom end, you have at the county record level, if I'm looking in the county, I'm going to see Scott Smith is trustee of the 123 Main Street Land Trust. Okay, that's great. If I'm looking at another level, which is the Secretary of State page, if for some reason I'm, I have a tip-off about an LLC that possibly backs up that property, you also have anonymity at that level. So Texas, wherever, uh, there's only a handful of states that don't allow this, uh, and it's a very small handful. So what we would use to give you anonymity at that level, at the Secretary of State level, is generally speaking, you know, you'd have a manager. So John Smith would be the manager of Smith LLC. Well, what we do at Royal is we create a very simple trust. Again, it's private, just like the land trust. So it's going to be held in your house or place of business. It's going to be a trust between you and yourself, and that will become the manager of your LLC. So now when I go to the Secretary of State site, instead of being able to see John Smith as manager of the Smith LLC, I will see Smith Agent Trust as manager of Smith LLC. So it creates, you're tying up the county level and you're also tying up the secretary of state level and it kind of creates anonymity on both ends, which just makes it really difficult and frustrating for someone to try to figure out who owns it. Um, okay, so this is a snippet of the entire structure. Obviously there's more and we'll get to that in the subsequent slides. But basically, what, this is what it would look like. Um, as you can see, you have the property and it would be owned by an independent land trust. Usually the name takes the address. So like I said, 123 Main Street Land Trust. Scott Smith would be the trustee or nominee trustee initially. Uh, upon recording of the deed to this property, Scott would drop out and it would become you as the successor. The beneficiary and grantor of this land trust privately in that land trust agreement would be an LLC, uh, whether it's a child series of a series LLC or a spoke like this, an independent LLC. And then this LLC would be owned by a hub LLC or a parent LLC. And then as I was discussing in that previous slide, that LLC would be owned and controlled by an agent trust, which would be owned and controlled by you. So this is the much larger picture. So we just looked at this right here, but in the background, you also have all of this. And this is like a complete uh, schematic. Obviously no one has to have all of this, but this is the full comprehensive plan. So as we discussed, you know, this all goes up to a hub, agent trust owns and controls the parent LLC. And then generally speaking, if you have an estate plan in place, you would have a living trust be the beneficiary of this agent trust. And this living trust ties into an estate plan. So that way you can plan for your beneficiaries, your heirs to get everything. It would all flow up to it as the pinnacle. It's a really nice way of avoiding probate, uh, which is a public lengthy and sometimes expensive pro process. Um, and then what we always recommend or nearly always is if you're dealing with hard assets, especially you should have an operating side. 
So at Royal, we try to separate the liability of holding something or owning something is enough in and of itself. Uh, we try to separate the interaction side into an operating company just because that generates a good deal of liability. So what you have here is it mimics pretty similarly uh, this, this parent. You would have an agent trust here that owns a traditional LLC. So again, I can't figure out who actually manages it because it's managed by a trust. And so this would do all of your interactions and that could be hard assets or soft assets really. So on notes, it could be a servicer of notes. On hard assets, it could hire contractors, it could enter into leases, it could evict tenants, it could, if you have a third party rental manager, just interact with them. And that way, all those contracts, all those interactions are all on this side, not on this side. You keep this out of that uh, realm entirely. It's I don't want to use the word decoy, but it is a first line of defense. It's usually an empty shell that just collects and then sends everything to you or to the parent on the holding side. Uh, so generally speaking, if this gets sued, it's it's not a, a complete loss. It's it's a shell, as I said. The owner's manual, how to use land trusts. So again, this is just going to give you kind of a breakdown of what it looks like when you buy, refinance, sell. So buying a property, uh, generally speaking, People can buy directly in the land trust and some people who prefer to not have the name of record uh, at all or, or very little, they'll do that. It's a more expensive process uh, just because it would require an attorney to sign your closing documents, which that comes at a cost. So generally speaking, the easiest way to do it, the way that I've done it myself as a client of Royal, you acquire the property in your personal name. You usually get the best financing that way. After closing via warranty deed, you transfer it to the land trust. And then selling property. Um, same idea. Some clients do have success selling directly out of the land trust. Now, some title companies are going to make you jump through some hoops and it is not always the easiest thing. So generally, the recommended way of doing this would be once you decide to sell your property, you have it up for sale and everything. The easiest thing to do is to just sell it or uh, just transfer it back to your own name, enter under contract in your own name, sell it. At that point, you're talking about you know, closing at this point is four to six weeks. You're talking about four to six weeks where it's sitting in your own name. Um, so generally speaking, not a, a huge liability there. That's the easiest way to do it. Most straightforward title company is not going to bother you at all. Refinancing kind of follows the same uh, pattern as what we just talked about. Generally speaking, you're going to want to, you have it in the land trust, move it out of the land trust, into your name, refinance, move it back to the land trust. Now, this is going to be subject to the financier's seasoning period. Uh, some, sometimes it's before, sometimes during, sometimes after. It just kind of depends on what they require. But as noted, there can be up to six months seasoning before you can move it back and forth. And then uh, frequently asked questions. So taxes. Uh, for the land trust, it's a pass-through entity. It's disregarded. Generally speaking, it's always going to come back to your personal return. Uh, LLC or a corporation that owns the land trust, or it could be a DST, as I mentioned. Generally speaking, the way that we create them at Royal, uh, the default is usually it's just you know a sole proprietorship or husband and wife ownership. And if that's the case, all income is just going to be back on your personal return. Now, that can change a bit if you elect S-Corp status, C-Corp status for your LLC. Um, do I use insurance with the land trust? Yes. So you would add the land trust as an, as an additional insured onto each policy for each property. You would keep yourself intact and it would just be an additional insured. Generally speaking, from my experience, this does not cost any extra money. And then as far as cost. Uh, so 
generally speaking, 550 is kind of the number that we're looking at here. And that is in isolation. Obviously, you're going to want probably a bigger structure because just moving something into a land trust doesn't make sense, as I kind of said. Uh, but 550 to move something from your name into a land trust, create the land trust, create a warranty deed. Um, usually, like I said, it's done in tandem with creating LLCs or, or DSTs. And then uh, as well, to use an attorney as a nominee trustee would be $500 per year. And that is unlimited. As many properties as you have, you would be able to use one of the attorney's names at the firm. And that would give you that attorney client privilege. And that is it. That's all I have, Scott. <clears throat> awesome. Thanks, Jason. Um, so guys, as we go through and listen to Jason's, what kind of questions came up for us here? as we're going through the process. Like what things did you write down there? Now, there's a couple of people I think that had questions before we even started the presentation uh, into there. Maybe they have those uh, questions up for us. So um, Chris looks like he's got his hands raised, but everybody else is coming up with their additional questions um, on this. Um, so Chris, yeah, go ahead. What do you got, bud? Um, I guess a, the question I have is if you have an attorney as a nominee trustee, my concern would be if you've got a significant number of properties and the trustee is the same for all of them. Yeah, you have a nominee, you have anonymity up front, but once they find out about one, all they have to do is do a search for that particular attorney's name. And then it just you know, brings down their search of which other ones they need to look more deeply into to see if you're affiliated with it. Um, any solution you feel for that? Or, um, do you think it matters if uh, if that attorney is like working with a bunch of other properties too? So that way it's like not a refined not a refined list. Because what I, I understand the purpose of your question to be is to be like, well, you're really giving them like some type of clue, right? About like that there's some type of common thread into it. So do you think it matters with like the total volume of what that list looks like? It might, it might. On the other hand, too, having specifically a lawyer as your trustee is already another reason that they might want to stay away because uh, who wants to sue an attorney? Yeah, it probably indicates, too, that like from the very beginning of the outset being like it starts sniffing like, ooh, this is looking like it's inside of like a heavily protected structure, right? And when if you're in a litigator, what are you starting to think then? Yeah, uh, this might have been answered too, Scott, but if you just have a really common name as the trustee. Is there anything in the public record that shows how to get in touch with that trustee? I mean, if you got a friend named Paul Smith, uh, there's, you know, and, and the properties in Florida and Paul Smith's in California, uh, how do they even know who Paul Smith is? Yeah. Um, so my understanding is like when you look at trust and Jason, um, chime in here too, if you, if you understand this any differently, my understanding is when we look at a lot of the trusts, what, what the requirements are, um, not like the, the shady requirements, but like the tech, the technical legal requirements they ask for, like the best practice requirements, which you're looking for is asked to have a name trustee. Typically you want that to be an attorney. So any requests about that trust are protected by the attorney client privilege. Um, if they could get to anybody who's a non-attorney trustee about it, they could compel that attorney to, or compel that person to produce the trust document itself because it would be an unprotected communication. Um, then you also have to have the name of the trust and you have to have the address of the trust and where the trust is located, right? So when they look at that, what they're first going to do is start to look at it and say, well, can we go to that address and otherwise be able to uh, try to find that trustee at that address. But yeah, technically what they have to do is they, in most cases, they 
uh, have to first look at, like, can they actually go find that trustee somewhere uh, to be able to serve them with the lawsuit? So when, uh, when I'm listed as the trustee of any of the trusts that we do for Royal Legal, um, I'm incredibly hard to sue because even though all the information we give them is fully true and accurate of where, um, where it could be located, either at the, at the offices or whatever, right? I'm most of the time I ain't there. So good luck trying to find Scott Royal Smith, right? As wherever he happens to be in the world, like at that time. And so that's kind of baked in exactly the reference to is baked into our protection system um, with it. But I would, um, there's also pieces here too, that like why you would want to use an attorney versus just another person. Um, uh, only an attorney has a, a duty to you, right? Once there's a, unless you're going to contractually try to bound that trustee in some other way. Um, attorney privilege. Yeah, it's attorney-client privilege, but there's also duties that says, I have to serve your best interest. I'm not allowed to serve my own interest in any of our dealings that we do besides the fact of um, charging you money for it, right? But I can't do a business deal that's against your interest if you're a client, right? And that's the nature of what these types of what they call fiduciary duties are. So if you try to pay like a bank a fiduciary fee, those are usually like thirty dollars to $40,000 a year kinds of relationships to pay a bank to be able to do that type of service for you in most cases that I've been able to find. So they're really only reserved for like the super high network. What we did is we said, well, listen, actually, we think we can accomplish the same exact thing and even better using an attorney for it because we still have the same fiduciary duties. We also have attorney client privilege and we have nomadic trustees. So good luck trying to sue them. Right. So those are another things that come into the barriers. They look at, they say, oh my God, this is a trust that's hidden behind like an attorney. What do we, okay, cool. It already looks like we have that protection there. We can't even sue this attorney well to be able to get the lawsuit started off the ground. We're struggling with that aspect of it. Once they start that lawsuit, they're not able to get to any of the underlying trust documentation easily because they have to then fight through attorney client privileges. And you can see that the, that the timeline and even compounding that too, right, is how do they even find what properties you might have, right? In the list where I have I work with about 2000 clients over the last nine years, right? So we have tens of thousands of properties listed with Scott Royal Smith as trustee of them, right? So good luck trying to comb through that list to be able to even find out what are the extent of the assets on top of all that. The net result of that is that before they can even get the lawsuit into anything that even resembles a lawsuit, right? Which is getting to the facts of the matter, right? And being able to go through any of that piece. They've already spent tons of time and money just having to chisel away at all of these procedural things that they have to do to be able to get into it. What you really want is people to exhaust about $10,000 in attorney's fees before the lawsuit kicks off. Because that's about the budget people are willing to spend while they're pissed. I don't know why, but that's about the pissed off budget. After you get about $10,000, the pissed off goes away and they're like, holy smokes, I'm cutting another check to an attorney and we haven't even been able to get to the service of the lawsuit yet because that's how difficult this has been from hiring private investigators and going through combing through lists of assets and trying to find Scott. Scott, uh, thank you, by the way. I'm really appreciating the detail. Now, you said that you have to list the address of the trust. Does that also... It, does the trustee have to be at that address as well, almost like a, uh, uh, a registered agent per se? Um, I, I would look at it in the context of saying that like there's not the same registered agent um, procedures 
registered agents are like a different statutory rule, right? That, that they function for the state to provide a designated person to serve with a lawsuit from the state. And they typically do that through the mail, right? So that way they're like, hey, all we had to do is prove to you that we mailed you service of process through the Secretary of State. And we were able to serve that LLC upon the registered agent by doing it through the mail. So registered agents don't provide you the same type of protection. Trustees don't, trustees require to be personally served because they're people. People have to be personally served in most all circumstances. So, but it's not the requirement that the trustee actually has to be at that address, but it has to be an address that's associated with the trustee. So where do we thread the line? We say, great, that's our law office in Austin. That's where I reside. That's where all the transactions of the firm are in and out of. And so we say, great, we fulfilled that statutory requirement, but you still have to go find Scott. But guess what? Scott doesn't actually have to be there, right, to be able to be served. But you have to actually find Scott. You can't serve Jessica. You can't serve the secretary. You actually have to go find Scott to be able to serve the lawsuit. And can you also have an LLC? I mean, it doesn't have to be an actual person as a trustee. I mean, can't you have an well, entity as well? But remember, then it's an LLC. The LLC has to have a registered agent. Once I have a registered agent, I can serve service of process upon the secretary of state and serve the trustee. So there's Got some, it. there's some, I appreciate the ninja skills. You're trying to, you're trying to whip trying, out Trying, man. I I'm like trying it. or never into trust, it. you know, as a trustee. <laughs> into just it. Just have a domino. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Hey, Brian, I wanted to check in with you, man, because you had, you had, you had uh, hit, up, hit us up earlier with some question that you might have. Did we already get to your question and during the course of the presentation? Uh, I, put, I put it in the chat. It, it really has to do with, um, you know, I'm kind of mid-process where we put all our, our deeds in. And thank you for being in an undisclosed location right now, somewhere in the world. <laughs> Chiming in. Man of mystery. I could be anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but so, you know, we're in California, so we have the, the Delaware Statutory Trust, and we just, we put everything, all our properties, they're all uh, quick claimed over to the, our, our trust, you know, subtrust. And um, now we have management agreements with our, with our LLC. I'm a, I'm a little confused on, or not confused, but just want to make sure I'm doing this right on the, um, how we transfer the money. If like cause some of the agreements ask for a, you know, what are you going to charge the trust to do the service? And I'm trying not to have any taxable income in my LLC uh, for my case. And so can I just put zero there? A compensation, is that like violate any, um, you, you know, break, break the, the agreement through there or do I have to put a dollar or, you know, what are some of the parameters around how much we have to charge management? you know, if we're doing the minimum. So there's a there's an element to contracts that says you have to have consideration for a contract to be valid, right? So you have to say, well, the other party that entered the contract had to get something or give something. Now there's an old school like legal term that says that even a peppercorn would do. You know what a peppercorn is from like a, an yeah. old like pepper shaker, right? Mm -hmm. And the legal principle says that even a peppercorn will work to make a contract valid for us, right? So typically what we do for that is we say it's $10. We say okay. like, great, $10 is a peppercorn. And so we put $10. Now, when you look at like your income, like tax reporting and whatever you do with that, you can decide of whether you want to, how you want to manage that issue. Um, but however, what you would really look at is if you go and sit down with Pete, who heads up our tax division and you go through any of the strategy calls with him. And I think he gives you like a super discounted rate to just have a strategy call. Um, I think it's like under $200 or something for okay. like a meeting to go in there and ask him whatever questions with it. 
But probably where that would end up, not to not to take meetings away from Pete, but I highly recommend you get in there with them if, if you're having these types of, of questions that are taxation, accounting, flow of money, et cetera, um, is um, how would the income come out of that LLC, right? So even if the, L, the money flows from your asset holding company into your operating company, if they're both disregarded entities, like single member LLCs or husband and wife and uh, LLCs, typically disregarded. That means that all of that income gets reported, I believe, onto the schedule E of your personal return, right? Mm-hmm. So that doesn't matter because all the money is going to flow up through the entity structure and get reported onto a schedule of your personal return. Chris asked a question in the chat which says like, well, shouldn't your operating company be taxed as an S-corp? And the answer to that is yes, if you're making over $50,000 a year, because then it'll require an extra tax return. So you have to see how much you're saving on taxes versus having to file another return. Right. So I say, well, at that point, then you would actually, you would definitely want your operating company to be uh, taxed as an S corporation. But for your purposes of what you're talking about, it's like, no, I would just treat them all as disregarded entities. You fulfill the contractual requirement. You don't have any extra tax returns to do. And it keeps your life um, super simple to do that. But that's one of the reasons there's enough expenses in there from a tax perspective of just little things in the LLC to offset, you know, 10 bucks a property type of thing. Sure. Yeah. That's the other part of the game too, right? Is like, what expenses can you just toss into there and make it like a zero, a zero net, right? So there's a lot of ways to, what did we decide this was going to be? Screwing the light bulb. There's a lot yeah. of ways to screw in the light bulb that we can do guys, right? And so that's one of the reasons why it's so great to be, um, to just go ahead and snag uh, a meeting there with Pete. I think it's a couple hundred bucks. I think it's actually maybe even less <clears throat> than a couple hundred dollars. But like even in just that one strategy session, what you're going to be able to do is to be able to say, have a CPA basically review. Here's the str- here's the strategy that we're doing. Here's how we're running it. What's going to be the most efficient and effective for how I'm running my business? As you'll know here from like inside the conversations that we do here in public and with the whole community, how does it actually work is, well, that's the 95% of the throughput that works for everybody. That everybody's case is a little bit different because they're making slightly small adjustments, amounts of money that they're making or what exactly they're trying to do to get to their tax result. And that's where I say, well, this is the great opportunity to spend a couple hundred bucks, get a second set of eyes on whatever it is that you're thinking about the way that works and have the conversation and say like, well, you might uncover in there that, wow, there's actually a bigger relationship that's going to make me more money because saving money on tax is the number one way to actually make more money. It should be your highest ROI activity, even better than the investments you can get into is saving money on tax if you haven't done a thorough tax strategy and you have um, over six figures in income. Yeah. And I, and I guess, you know, and, and kind of probably for this this discussion, I get it on the tax and, you know, my, my driving, what was driving the question more was like not messing up my, um, the connection between the LLC from uh, from being sued and breaking that veil veil perfect is there so is there anything like on that like between that or what are the things maybe maybe the way to ask the question what are the things that i can screw up that someone could get through my llc to my um you know to to the the dst or to the land trust is yeah so like that yeah, like how would they get? How, what are the, like the, all the great ways that people screw stuff up, right? So there, there's a there's like a best hits of the way to screw things up. Um, most of the time, what it is is that um, they didn't people either didn't set it up correctly the first time because they were like, ah, I think I got it, 
right? Um, and some people can, right? It's not 100% of people screw it up, just most of the people. All the people I've ever worked with have screwed it up somehow, right? When they're trying to accomplish the, the you'll see things like, oh, I didn't do my operating agreement or like I created an operating agreement, I didn't sign it, right? Um, so you're typically wanting like, do I have operating agreements in place? Um, and did I form this correctly? Have I done all of the yearly filings for my LLCs, et cetera? That's why we do a corporate compliance as part of um, a, a subscription or a membership that we do on a yearly basis to maintain everybody's like minutes and all of our yearly filings for them, right? Because we know that there's a system and process and best practice that says, here's how you make sure it's all done right every single time, right? For every single client. Any, if you're, but it's not to say that anybody can't learn it on their own and be successful doing it on their own, right? It's possible. The question always comes back in my mind is what's the best use of time? Is the best use of time actually finding deals and making more money or learning about annual compliance for LLCs, right? When it comes into like your money-making systems that come with it. But to the further answer to your question though, Brian, of like, what are the things that Brian needs to be aware of? That's where I would grab some attorney time with like Jason or Olia or Richard. And so one of the members of the attorney team and say, great, let's actually review what I currently have in place or what I am putting in place here in the future. Or if you're already a member um, of Royal Legal Solutions, right? It's going to be asking what are the support options you have and what are the free education materials you might have that are already about these topics, right? And interacting with the staff to be able to get to what are maybe prepared materials we might have or what support options do we have that are affordable for you and make sense for you. Um, but that's where I would go. And, and that's where I would pivot into to be able to better answer your question. Chris, did you have something to piggyback off of that? Yeah, I just wanted to say that, uh, I mean, people can be sued for any reason, but I find the number one way to avoid lawsuits and excuse my language here is just don't be an asshole. Uh, if you treat people with disrespect, if you do business in a shady way, you're more likely to get sued. And if you, if you follow the, uh, if you're a good person, you're less likely to get sued. Yeah. Weirdly enough, being a good person isn't a defense to a lawsuit, but it does help and people not getting so angry that they decide, you know what I want to do? Instead of buying that new boat, I would rather go attack you, right? Because that's ultimately what they're saying when they're like, hey, I would rather spend money on attorney's fees than doing something I enjoy with my life, right? And I think you got to kind of be a jerk for people to do that or has to be an important piece to it. Guys, I realize there were 12. Go ahead, Chris. No, no, no. Okay. Times of the essence. So, oh <laughs> yeah, I just realized that we're 12 minutes over time today, and I was holding you guys like over. And I apologize for doing that. It's always my intention to wrap these up on time. Jason, I'm sorry for just jumping into the Q and A and jumping into the questions. I just can't help myself when I get into, into talking and educating on this. Um, hopefully, if you can, oh, Jason's going to be back with us here in, in like future weeks, right? As we try to do more and more of our education of these great master classes, slide decks we put together, videos around that, eBooks, et cetera, to help get everybody up to speed with all the best um, content um, that we have. So thank you guys uh, so much uh, for joining um, in today. Um, I won't be with you next week. I think Ken's going to be hosting um, next week and we're going to be following up uh, with an awesome conversation next week continuing on with land trust, but also talking about some more of the intricacies, I believe of that, especially how they relate to insurance um, with that. So um, thank you guys so much for coming in. If you have any questions uh, for me or any pieces that you want to connect with the team about, 
Um, feel free uh, to shoot me an email at scott at royallegalsolutions.com. Otherwise, um, grab some of those links that we have here in the chat. That's about here's all our great resources and way to connect to the team. We're hyper-focused on connecting and having conversations right now. And the conversations that we want to have is what's top of mind for you so we can connect you to the best resources. Just like Brian today was like, hey, man, what are all of the things that I could be doing that's wrong? Those are kinds of questions that we have that are great. They tell me that like, man, you need to talk to somebody that's inside of the team that knows where all of the resources are that are about that question so they can get them to you. Because we have thousands of hours of content. I have 11 eBooks. Um, out. I have master classes out. We have so much content to be able to absorb. That's all education-based um, in that field. But the best way to get to it is actually starting to form the relationship with a team. So that way they can pair you with what are the best resources uh, to get you up to speed. So thank you guys so much. Thank you. Great to see you again, Connie and everybody. Alana, Brenda, Brian, Chris, Gilbert, Alex, everybody. Thank you guys for coming. See you guys again soon.